I'm Christine Little. Um, this is Keeping the Passion and Compassion session. And um, I'll be facilitating with you today because I hope we'll have more of a dialogue than me just talking. Um, but our hope today is that not only will you leave with a, a passion for compassion, but we're going to look at some of the different approaches that we have taken in Compassion Ministries in regards to cross-cultural missions. Um, what has worked and what has not worked so well and um, hopefully when you leave today it'll um, kind of broaden your minds on how to evaluate the best actions in the um, right situations um, and also when you're organizing teams a lot of what I'm going to share today is going to be pertaining to cross-cultural missions but pretty much all the principles and things we discussed today you could really um, utilize in your local community outreaches as well so it's just mainly a, a mind process in that so without further ado we'll get started um, Compassion Ministries, as I meant, mentioned before, has been kind of um, a, 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 a conflicting um, dilemma in uh, missions o over the years, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But before I go into that, I think it's important that we understand what is compassion. And if you would look it up on the Webster Dictionary, they would say, oh, it's basically a sympathetic pity, a concern for the suffering and the misfortunes of others, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that su suffering. But when you get down into the biblical concepts of compassion, we realize there's a little more to it than that. Um, Joanne Butrin is one of our uh, leaders in the area of compassion ministries in the Assemblies of God World Missions, and she describes compassion as an action. It starts with emotion and ends with a response. It's more than empathy, but rather a strong feeling that comes from a biblical term, from deep inside our bowels, a welling up to bring change. And we're going to talk about that a little more. If you'd actually look up the word compassion that's utilized in the scriptures, it, there is a, a deep level of love incorporated with that as well as mercy and as well as compassionate in itself. So what's been the dilemma? <laughs> well, over the years, if you look through history of the church, um, there's been kind of the struggle in between do we do compassion ministries or we do just do evangelism. And a lot of that concern has come from the fact that many f have felt in the church if we truly focus on compassion ministries and humanitarian efforts, we're going to lose sight of what our true calling is. And that is to bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Um, there has been that wrestle. Um, a concern that less emphasis would ha be on the evangelism side and church planning side, which is what our ultimate goal is in missions, and that it would totally shift to the compassion component. But the true factor is these two entities actually work together. Even though they're very separate things, we're going to look at the scriptures and realize that they do go hand in hand. A quick example, I actually saw this in action um, in Zambia this last term. We've been partnering with one of our national churches in Zambia who has an HIV clinic. And when I first visited them in 2006, everybody knew that this was a church-based clinic. The doctors were from the churches, a lot of the staff was from the churches, and everybody knew this was a ministry and it was seen as a ministry. Well, this last term, I spent the last four years with them and I realized that they have really strayed from that. A lot of their staffing has come from outside of the church. A lot of their funding has come from outside of the church through USAID and other organizations. And I, as Heather and I were uh, partnering with them, we realized they kind of lost their sight on why they were there. 
They were just dealing with the physical and not bringing um, compassion in the regards to bringing Jesus to people in their situations. And HIV is just a, a huge um, opportunity to bring Jesus in so many different areas in people's lives. So it does happen, and we just have to be careful not to stray. I love this analogy. This came from uh, Christopher Wright, and he said, Compassion ministries and evangelism work together as a wheel. And the idea is that the evangelism would be the hub, which is connected to the gospel, and that is rotating. But without a rim, it's just rotating and not going anywhere. But the rim are the actual deeds, the compassion components, the things that people see. And when you put the rim and the hub together, it sets the church in motion and is actually making a contact with the road and bringing change um, within our communities. So again, it does work together. And as we go back to the scriptures, we see our prime uh, role model in this is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All through his walk on this earth, we saw our Lord Jesus not only preaching the word, bringing the good news of salvation, um, his sacrifice for us, but he was also showing love in very tangible ways by healing the sick, feeding the 5,000, dealing with social issues, dealing with emotional issues. He was interested in the whole person. And if you were to do a quick study, well, it wouldn't be so quick, but a deeper study in the Old Testament and New Testament, and the centrality of what the theme of the scripture is, a lot of people will say Jesus all through his messages when he was referring back to the Old Testament and preaching in the New Testament was going all the way back to the idea of the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And what they were showing us um, through some of the study that I was going through is the fact that you know we as the church are a glimpse of that kingdom of God. As God reigns in our lives, those around us see the kingdom that's coming. We don't have the full picture yet because more is coming, but we as the people of God represent that kingdom, how God reigns in our lives and how we walk out our lives. And just as Jesus reached out to those needs around them, we are also called to reach out to needs around us to show that love, to show that compassion. And one of my challenges have been in the church since I've been home this time is, you know, we have been given a great call, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. But if we can't complete that mission with actually embracing the great commandment, and that is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And in order to do that, we have to be completely connected, giving our all to our Lord Jesus Christ, building our relationship with Him, and then you know the love just naturally flows. And we begin to respond to those needs around us, and just as Jesus did. And this is what we're called to do. Some other prime examples you can find in the scriptures is when Jesus is challenging, who is my neighbor when you say, love your neighbor? And uh, we don't have time today, but we all know the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke, right? How that one individual out of three stopped and helped the needs of the one on the side of the road who was beaten and robbed. And then Matthew 5 also reminds us that we are called to be the salt and light of the world. And, he's, and in that passage, he, he reminds us that we are to not hide under bushels, but to radiate as the church of God so people can bring um, glorify our Lord as they see what we do in his name. Amen? So again, just some quick um, background biblically. If you ever want to get really deep in this, um, there is a book um, written by one of um, our colleagues. He's now at Valley Forge, Jerry Ireland. It's called For the Love of God. And I'm sorry, I don't have a hard copy, but I have it downloaded here. 
Um, and basically, it is a composite of um, experiences. Uh, Jerry really gets into the theology. If you really like to get into that deep stuff, um, in the first two chapters on the history of the church, the theology behind it, but then it goes into more practical things, and it's all um, written by missionaries in Africa, if you're ever interested in that. It's, on Kindle, it's like $9.99, and, and hard copy is about $25. So, And what I'll do um, um, at the end of our session, I'll get online where you guys all signed up, and I'll put a list of all the resources I mentioned today, as well as the ones that are up here. So... So in regards to um, compassion ministries and um, in missions, if we look back at our Lord Jesus Christ and his model, like I mentioned, he dealt with every aspect of our lives. And, and we, as we go into communities and we're doing compassionate words, we should be in tune to all those aspects as well. Not only the spiritual aspect, but the physical, the emotional, and the social. Now, just a quick little background. With the Assemblies of God, Compassion Ministries wasn't re readily um, recognized until more recent years. But the truth is, if you go back into our history way back, it was, it's always been there. It's always been hiding, under, I would say, kind of like underneath the currents of church planting and such. And of course, uh, many people know Lillian Trasher from Egypt, where she served for 50 years uh, ministering to orphans and the vulnerable there. But it wasn't until more recently um, that it was recognized as a mission strategy in 2008. And our strategy is still today, reaching, planting, training. It used to be touching, but we had to change our vocabulary to serving because of our culture. <laughs> and then um, obviously in 2009, the General Council did add compassion as one of its fourth elements and reasons for being and uh, making it explicit and making sure that we know, yeah, this is part of what we do. So. There are some things that um, you will find when you incorporate Compassion Ministries into missions. One thing it's going to do is going to open up access. Um, with our willingness to perform Compassion Ministries will help us enter into places that we otherwise cannot go. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. It also brings accreditation. Um, our deeds give credit to our message. Um, a lot of people I work with in Zambia, they're tired of hearing verbiage. And when we start doing actual um, outreach through Compassion Ministries, they're like, wait a minute, these people are different. And they want to be a part of um, the church that is involved in those type of activities. So it brings accreditation that, yeah, we truly love, we're reflecting the real love of our Lord Jesus. And it is also an opportunity to acclaim the good message. Um, we are ultimately, are hopefully reflecting who our Lord Jesus Christ is um, through our acts of compassion. The key to keeping the balance is keeping the focus, and that is always never losing sight of the desired end result, and as I already mentioned, to bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen? All right. So I want to talk a little bit this um, afternoon about best practices, and before we dive into that, if you work in the medical realm, we know this terminology very well because <laughs> when we do um, treatments and uh, we're always looking at research, what works, what doesn't work um, in regards to medicine, well, the same kind of principles apply here because we, have, we do have a history in Compassion Ministries and we do have realized over the years that there's been some shortfalls um, and then there's been some things that really work well. And just for our, our uh, preferences here, um, best practices is defined as methods through experience, research, and employment 
by a considerable number of people who've shown over time to be effective, efficient, and result in desired outcomes. So our Lord, you know, we always want to bring our best and our excellence. Yes, we definitely rely on the Holy Spirit, but we also use our own experiences um, with his guidance to help guide us. Uh, okay, this hasn't worked very well. And, and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us lessons through those, our failures, right? And that's how we learn. Amen? So let's talk about some of those pitfalls that have come through in, in the past. Um, everybody familiar with Tom's Shoes? Yeah, yeah, so this was a movement several years ago. Tom's Shoes, if you would buy a pair of their shoes, they're going to send a pair of shoes to Africa. Okay, and it started, it sounded like a great idea. But over time, we realized there was a few little shortcomings with this because as they were sending shoes into places in Africa and other parts of the world, they were, what was happening was affecting the economy in those areas. You have local men and women who sell shoes, who do shoe repair, and by sending shoes into these communities, we were putting them out of work. So it became a, a, a more of a, a big um, community issue. What we were trying to do to help was actually bringing harm. And I'll be honest, most of our kids in Af Zambia, they won't wear clear shoes. <laughs> they don't like, they'll wear them for Sunday, but during the week, they either have sandals or they love being barefoot. They love feeling the ground underneath their feet. So um, just a quick little example of that. Another example, which I encountered in Zambia, we were up in, at Lake Tekanika in the northern part of um, Zambia on the border of Tanzania, for those of you who've been to Tanzania. And while we were up there, we were talking with some of the leaders in the area, and they said, yes, um, USAID came into our area several years ago because we have a high rate of malaria, obviously with the water um, location. So the USAID said, hey, we're going to go in, we're going to do some education, and we're going to bring some mosquito nets. Sounds like a great idea, right? Yeah, prevention of malaria. So they did that. They came in, they brought the nets, and they went back a year later, and they were finding their statistics. There was no change in the malaria cases in the area. The reason why is once they did a little bit of investigation, they found their mosquito nets were in the lake catching fish. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, and we're going to get to this. Sometimes we look at problems and we jump onto solutions and we don't realize that for them that wasn't really a problem. Their main concern was eating. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but just another quick example. Another one from Zambia in my experiences, and I've been guilty of this myself when I first got there, are the street kids of Zambia. Um, it can't go hardly anywhere in the city without one of these cute little guys. Or some now we're seeing a few more girls as well coming up to your window with their sweet little smile begging. And it tugs at your heartstrings and you just want to help. And when I first arrived, I followed my senior missionary's example. She passed out bread. I'm like, well, I'm not giving out money that they can buy things with that they shouldn't be buying things with, but I can give them some bread. Well, I did that on occasion, but then I took a culture class and actually got to sit down with a gentleman who works with these street kids. He said, Christine, the problem is, is yeah, there's a handful of actual street kids who are orphans who are living off the streets. But what you don't realize, there are another set of kids working alongside of them. They actually have homes and families, and they see the street kids out there begging and getting stuff from cars, so they join in because they want to get stuff too. Well, next thing you know, it's a few hours, then it's a half a day, then they're spending a full day out there skipping school, and next thing you know, they've been swallowed up into that culture, and they've left home. 
because they have a new family on the street, a new way of making money or collecting things, and it seems a little better than what they have at home. So actually me giving bread through the window was feeding into a cycle. And so just these are just things to kind of think about, right? Um, before I go any further, let me share just a couple more um, incidents I ran into. Um, this one was very interesting because I don't think I would have thought of this um, issue. Um, but we love putting in water wells, don't we? A community doesn't have water. The ladies are having to go all the way down to the river to clean their clothes and to draw water and take it back home. So we raise a lot of money. We go into communities and we drill wells. And I'm all for that because I know the importance of good water and healthy water. But this was an interesting situation. Um, a missionary was sharing with me. He goes, yeah, a team came in. They drilled a well. We were so excited. They left. Um, I went back into that community several months later and nobody was using the well. I'm like, what? He's like, the ladies were still going down to the river to wash their clothes and such. You want to know why? Because that was their social time. They valued that time with the other ladies going down together with their buckets to wash their clothes, to draw water. And the well kind of interfered with that. That was their chance to get away from home. <laughs> So again, just some things I never would have dreamt to think about that. Um, another example um, that I, I was reading about, a lot of times we love to take teams in to do community work, and I've learned this the hard way too. Um, we love to go in and be the hands and feet and do things ourselves. And they had a team come in to do some community work alongside of another national team that was doing community work. Well, they brought things in to that um, project, things that they could pass out, and when they left, the local community workers picked up, you know, where they left off to continue to do that community work, but the dynamics had changed. They're like, well, what'd you bring us? And it really hindered that community program because now the people within that community were expecting handouts. And I actually ran into this. When I first started in Zambia, I actually would do um, our community work. I'd get out there with our community workers. But then I started hearing the stories. Uh, one was from our uh, committee member, Pastor Zulu. He said, you know, whenever you guys come in, they think you're bringing money. And he said, I actually had a group of people from the community come to my home looking for the trunk of cash that you left in my home. I'm like, what? <laughs> we never brought any money. But it's the perceptions because they see the skin and they hear America, oh, we have money growing off trees here, if you didn't know that. <laughs> but it, the perception, and so again, it kind of hindered um, the work that was going on there. So nowadays, um, I am training up trainers within the church buildings themselves, and I do very little work in the community hands-on because as soon as they see this person, it changes the entire dynamic. But if I can stay behind the scenes, which is not the, f the favorite place to be, we like to be the heroes out front, right? And yeah, it's normal human nature. But I had to learn, no, I have to stay behind the scenes, raise up others to go out and do the work. And they bring longer impacts and greater impacts than I ever could because of some of those perceptions and dynamics. So just a few issues, um, pitfalls. So, so let's get down, what is the undergirding issue um, with these pitfalls? And the number one thing is actually our worldview. Uh, a lot of times when we go into a cross-cultural situation, we bring, we're bringing our own values, our own views to those we're ministering to. And one um, 
prime example, if I were to ask you what poverty is, a couple of you tell me, what is poverty? And, and if you've been through community training, tell me what is the usual perception of poverty from the United States of America? Not having money. Not having money? Food. Or food? Mm-hmm. Any other ideas? All of the basic necessities. Basic necessities. Food, water, sure, right. Poor education. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So these are kind of like when we view poverty, how we view it. If you were to ask someone in a developing world, and actually the World Bank asked people from 60 poor countries, what is poverty? And I want you to listen to their answers. Afraid. Fear. Depending on everyone. Not being needed ashamed, not being well, powerless, not able to be heard, never satisfied, always being poor, and lack of destiny. You see, when we describe poverty, we think in terms of money and resources, but when you talk to someone who's living in poverty, they are gonna describe it in terms of feelings, and experiences. They talk about shame and powerlessness and feeling inferior. The truth is, even from the perspective of our Lord, poverty is much deeper than material things. It's broken relationships with God, broken relationships among ourselves, Maybe some broken relations within ourselves, how we view ourselves, and also broken relations in creation. It goes back to those four areas I mentioned earlier. When we talk about compassion means we're dealing with a whole person because you see, Jesus deals with a whole person because we are all broken individuals in so many different ways and we all suffer from poverty, right? We all have um, an area that's been described that needs some attention. In the biblical perspective, poverty is rooted in these broken relationships. So if we're broken in our relationship with God, we're denying God's existence. We might be worshiping false gods. We might be focusing on materialism as our God. If we have broken relationship with with creation and our ability to have good stewardship, it leads to laziness, materialism, a sense of lost purpose, it can also even lead to workaholics. Yeah? If we're broken in our relationships with the others, we're, we have a broken community. We tend to be self-centered. It can lead to exploitation of others and even abuse of others. And then, of course, if we are having a struggle within ourselves, it can lead to low self-esteem, but it could also give us the God complex as the little saviors, right? Poverty alleviation is actually a long-term process, and it's a very complex issue. But it involves reconciliation, not a momentary provision of material needs, but getting down to the roots of the brokenness. If we fix, if we're fixing our ways in regards to um, context, we're not going to be able to help others around us. We're going to have to broaden our view of what poverty looks like and be willing to take the time to get to the roots of the issues. 
We have to look beyond looking at local resources. One thing I do um, when we go into communities um, is kind of approach things from a different perspective. Um, it's very easy to look at our surroundings, and even here in America, and see all the issues, all the problems. But sometimes what's harder to see is the assets, the things that God has given us and put right in front of us to deal with those problems. And that's part of what we do as missionaries in Zambia, is helping people realize that God has given them very special gifts, talents, experiences, and resources, and God wants to use them. They don't have to rely on and wait for someone from the outside. When we offer relief efforts, um, sometimes one of the issues is we're trying to offer relief efforts when we should be um, offering development efforts. And we're going to do a bit of an exercise in just a few minutes to kind of look at that a little more closely because I think that's one of the biggest things when I've um, taught this with uh, um, other friends here in America. They're like, oh, it just opens their eyes on, on how to properly um, funnel money and uh, resources um, and, and activities as teams um, in the proper times. Another thing that we tend to fall into is that we assume that we have all the answers and they do not. And I have found the more time I'm in Zambia, I know very little. <laughs> I might think I have a good idea, but it's not too long before the Zambian brothers and sisters show me that, no, really, that's not the best route to go. God has put answers inside of them. And when we come in as Americans with um, our concept of what answers would be, we take away that ownership. And when you're doing work um, with the local church on the ground, um, in order for it to be sustainable, in order for it to continue to go forward, you want to be sure that you are, um, you are equipping them and giving them that ownership. Because many a times we come in and we do projects and they'll, when we leave, you don't realize it, but they'll be like, they won't take care of whether it's a building that's built or such, because that was the American's project. It's not mine, so I'm not going to take care of it. I'm not going to continue it. But when you inco incorporate them into whatever ministry you're doing in a cross-cultural relationship, they begin to say, hey, this is, this is us. Look what we're doing. And they will continue to take care of that ministry or that program or that project um, through that partnership rather than someone else coming in and doing it for them. And then I'll talk about dependency syndrome. So how do, how do we kind of get past all this? And I, the blueprint, um, using the blueprint, that talks about coming in with our own plans, um, if you're wondering what that meant, using blueprints rather than participatory approaches, what I just talked about. Uh, we come in with our own set of solutions when the solutions should be coming um, from those we're working with. So how do we um, overcome and avoid these pitfalls? And one of the, the best thing you can do is keep a God view. When we look at poverty, um, just keep... Keep, view, keep your view of poverty in a proper context of what the Lord says poverty is versus what we say it is as Americans, right? Um, the, other, the biggest thing you do is simply connect with the people you're ministering to. Um, listen to them. Connect with them on the ground. Um, whether it's the missionaries or if you have a straight contact with a local individual, um, Listen to what they have to say, what kind of input they want to give you, and then see how you guys can work together uh, to pursue um, what you want to accomplish in those settings. 
One of the number one things um, we do when we go into communities is we're, we're sure that we hear the needs of the people within the community versus what we observe as the needs. And we have a couple different exercises we do um, with our Zambian friends. Um, one of them is we basically have them come to our training courses and we're like, bring a, an object from, from home that represents an issue in your community. And so they will line those things up on the floor and we'll vote on um, which, which issues are the biggest problems in their community and it helps us narrow down what would they like to focus on as a ministry in their community. And again, it's a lot of times I'm very surprised by what I see because I might see, oh, you know what, they don't have a water well. They're having, you know, like I said, go into the river or something. But they'll come up with something totally different that I might not be even able to observe because I'm not in their context and in their relationships. But they'll bring those things forward. So learning to um, develop some of these uh, ways of listening. I was just in a section on coaching. I'm like, oh, this really pertains to community uh, development as well. Um, in Compassion Ministries is being willing to listen um, and hear from them and communicate and this also helps communicate value and dignity to those who are involved because a lot of times as Americans we like to rush in on our our shiny horse <laughs> and say I'm here to save the day <laughs> and um, it, it really it really makes them feel low to put it lightly because you're giving them a sense that you're inferior and we need to try to avoid that, right? Because we all are a body of Christ. And we all should be able to reflect Him. And sometimes we want to come in and do things when God wants to raise up that local church or those local people to do those things themselves. Another good um, thing to um, have in mind is long-range vision. Um, it's very easy to want to put Band-Aids on things and fix things just now, but the long-term effect of that can fall quite short. Um, so as we're making plans um, and partnering with our friends on the ground, you know, really trying to make sure we're looking long-range. Is this going to sustain itself? Is it going to continue on? Is it going to bring long-term impacts and transformation? And always um, incorporating evaluations when we do do ministry, uh, when we do compassion, how is this impacting the community? What, what are some of the results we're seeing? And not just the immediate results, but down the road, years to come, what kind of results are we seeing? Okay, let me see the time here. Oh, you know what? I don't think I have internet access here that will allow me to show this film. So let's, um, I'll walk through the exercise with you. Um, I, I tried to get on like the free one, but it wouldn't allow me to show this video for some reason. It's got some restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> I can guarantee there wasn't anything shady in it, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. So let me let me just walk you through an exercise. One of the uh, skits we do in Zambia, which is actually more fun than the video I was going to show you, um, we call it the river crossing story. And basically what happens is we have two individuals who want to get to the other side of the river, but they don't know how. It's a rushing river. There's crocodiles in it. Um, they don't know how to swim. They don't have a boat. But then a third gentleman comes by and says, hey, I know how to get across. I can help you across. And how he does that, he picks up the first person on his back and he trucks across the river and gets to the middle and stops because he's tired and then he goes back to the second person leaving that one in the middle 
And the second person, he realized, you know, I'm too tired to carry you, but you know, there's some stones in this river. Let me show you how to get across. And so in the skit, our Zambian brother and sister will show how to step on the stones and get all the way across the river. But then the one is left in the middle and it's like, hey, what about me? And the, the original helper, he says, no, I got to go. But the one he trained can go back and teach him to get across. And our whole concept, and I know you're smiling because I bet Paula did this in, in class, didn't she, at Valley Forge. <laughs> so the whole concept of this is looking at um, what are some of the benefits of relief versus development. And I'd like to run through this exercise with you because I think it'll help you when you're making decisions in regards to compassion ministries and organizing teams. Um, the proper response, because a lot of times we want to respond with relief efforts. And we're not saying relief efforts are bad. They are very much needed in the proper times. What happens is we tend to mix the, the situation up by bringing relief when there should be development and bringing development maybe when there should be relief. So let me just walk you through a quick exercise. This will hopefully wake you up a little bit because you're going to give me the answers. All right. So in, in regards to relief versus development, what kind of situation do you think would be required for relief efforts? When would you think you need to do relief efforts? Exactly. You're gonna, it's going to be an emergency situation. and disaster. What about development? Oh, sorry, can't spell. Excellent, chronic poverty. Okay, great. So, if you think you're gonna be doing a relief project, what kind of duration do you think that would involve? I'm just going to add to this um, chronic poverty. It's going to um, look normal for that community. It's going to be the normal state for that community. So yeah, back to duration. If you're going to do relief efforts, what kind of duration are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So very short term, right? What about with development? Mm -hmm. Long term. Okay. So in a relief project, where are those resources going to come from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about development? Yeah, you should really try to do majority of it from within. There might be um, a little jump start that might be needed from the outside, but you really want to maximize the local resources. So, if we have a relief project going on, who do you think owns that? Us. <laughs> Us. The outsider. 
we're bringing in all the money, right? So we're going to say where it's going and how it's going to be used, right? <laughs> what about with development? Hmm? <laughs> right. So the local people are going to have ownership of this. Very good. So what would you think the end result will be with the relief program? What, what do you want to see happen? And a desired outcome. Exactly, yeah. Return to normal. And what about development, do you think? A new normal, right? Yeah, improvements. Okay. So in order for a relief effort to take place and to get it back to a normal state, what kind of actions need to take place down here? What kind of activity do you kind of see happening? And it can be some examples if that's. Bring in supplies. Mm hmm. Bring in supplies. Distribution. Distribution. Mm hmm. Perhaps some work extra. Mm hmm. People on the field to do the work. Right. And who's doing that work? We are. <laughs> and honestly, in this case, it's okay because they can't help themselves in a disaster state. So, like, you know, all these tornadoes that just happened in Tennessee, you know, obviously they can't pick themselves up because everything's been wiped out, their resources and such. So, outside aid has to come in, right? So, again, we're not saying relief is bad, it just looks different. So, we're doing things for people. And this tends to be more of a reactive response or a curative response. We want to we want to cure that immediate thing. What about what kind of action do you think happens in development? Mentoring and teaching. Exactly. Training. And we're teaching them to do it themselves. What would happen if we did development activities when relief really needed to happen? What would be the result? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm aggravate the disaster, really. Exactly, exactly. It can lead to death. <laughs> if you're not dealing with the, the main immediate issues, people can die. And then what can happen if you do relief efforts when development is needed? It's like putting on a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. Exactly, a learned helplessness, dependency. 
So in Africa overall, especially in a southern Africa, we've had so many um, NGOs and ministries come in, uh, bringing a lot of relief effort when really development needed to happen. And what we're encountering now is dependency syndrome. So a lot of our friends are waiting for the next handout, the next group of people to come in and fix something or build something, when really they could do it themselves. And it brings a stagnation in the community. Um, not only community as a whole, but even in the, our churches as well. So it's something we're really trying to work through. When we started doing community development in Zambia, it was like pulling teeth because they really felt like they couldn't do it. But when you had a few champions, people where the light bulbs came, went off and they started modeling um, doing things themselves the others were like well, what's he doing over oh, how'd you do that and then you started seeing a multiplication happen and people realizing hey you know I have potential I have gifts and I can be used right it's really fun to watch that so let me just share a couple examples with you of um, good and relief and development programs and I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get to my clock. Okay, we got 15 minutes. All right. So everybody, um, if you're with the AG, everybody knows Convoy of Hope. <laughs> These guys do a good job with uh, relief. Uh, when there's a disaster, whether it's stateside or overseas, they are right there rushing in with people, with resources to get, get people out of that emergency situation. And Convoy has actually started looking into more development um, issues because they're realizing there needs to be a transition. Um, I, we compared relief and development, but now we're starting to see a middle ground. There's actually another whole phase of getting people out of relief and into development. Um, it's a transitional phase, and so they're actually looking at how to do that um, in a healthy way to bring people from a disaster um, time to a time where they're flourishing and growing. Okay, now you guys, I'm so sorry, but this is my heartbeat. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Hannah, you get to hear it all over again. She's from Valley Forge, and my, my colleagues have been teaching up there recently on this. So, um, But community health evangelism is just one of many tools out there that we have been using um, in Zambia. In fact, our... Africa family of missionaries have pretty much adopted this as a way to do community compassion ministries, um, development, um, but also equipping our local churches um, in reaching out in very tangible ways, being the hands and feet of Christ. Um, many times, especially um, in that context, everyone is kind of in survival mode, um, but the Lord has so much more for them. And so this is a way for us to help um, them identify, like I said, their gifts, their talents, their resources, and also mobilize them outside of their churches. And how we do that is we basically train people within the churches. Um, we're focusing on training trainers, but those trainers will train their church members on how disease prevention, health promotion, and presenting Christ. And part of that training is going into the community and helping to identify not only the needs in the community, but the resources they have. Um, so it's all coming from them. And, and then it's, um, what's really cool about this is we use what we call picture booklets. You don't have to know how to read and write. Um, these people will go into the communities with their picture booklets. They memorize all the scriptures. They memorize all the lessons. And they are able to um, go and make an impact. And usually each um, community worker from the church will have about 10 homes. 
They will go into those homes over and over again, bringing new lessons, building those relationships, sharing their testimony, sharing the Word of God, and bringing uh, people within their community to Christ. And we're seeing church growth through it. Um, what, our inv- what our vision is, is a holistic transformation, both in individuals and communities, by training and mobilizing the local church in discipleship, health promotion, and community development through sustainable initiatives. And when I talk about sustainable initiatives, I'm talking about, once again, using local resources. Um, another um, example of where we've had pitfalls is um, you can find in certain areas of Zambia these wells that are not being utilized because all the parts came from the United States of America. And when something broke, you couldn't find the part to fix it. <laughs> or they just didn't have the skills to fix it. So what we do is really focus on using what's available in country, on the ground, and then we encourage people, if you are going to come in and bring resources from outside, you need to bring the training on how to use it and how to repair it and know what resources are available in the country to repair it so that it just doesn't go to waste, right? So quick example, this is actually a solar oven. Um, It's actually made out of cardboard and aluminum foil you find in your kitchen. And basically, we put things in a black pot, set it out in the sun, cover it up with some bags, and this is banana bread. She stuck it out in the morning, and by afternoon, we have banana bread. So again, very simple things. We have issues with um, them chopping down trees, kids getting burnt over their open coals, um, them trying to cook inside and all the fumes of that, causing health issues. So this is just one health a related way I'm um, using local resources that can bring change um, in a home. Um, you also see the guys there practicing with the picture booklets and uh, we we're doing a lesson on nutrition there. Um, a couple more examples of appropriate technology. In Zambia we have a tree called the Moringa tree and it turns out the leaves on that tree are very high in vitamins, minerals, and um, and protein even. And so it's very interesting when you look at India and Africa and you see where the highest poverty levels are, Moringa tree grows in those areas. It's like God put it there. And again, just helping them say, hey, God has put something in front of you for you to use. So we teach them how to harvest it, um, grow it, harvest it, and they just add it into their normal diet as a supplement. It's really great for our HIV clients. Um, another quick example, um, again, chopping down the trees for charcoal, ruining, we call it um, disharmony with your environment. <laughs> We're teaching them how to take care of their environment. <laughs> so we talk about harmony with God, self, others, and our environment. So this is an example how we deal with the environment. Um, so instead of chopping down the trees, this is actually made out of sawdust and, and garbage. Um, but we, we press them down into briquettes, and they can cook with this. For, it burns for like an hour and a half. And we have a special rocket stove they can put it in that's made out of just a bucket, a metal bucket, and they're able to cook with that. So again, just um, helping them identify. But again, these type of things take time. Um, It's going to, you know, an energy and thought process. It's not a real quick, easy fix. Um, But these are things that are sustainable, things they can do for themselves um, that will go a long way. Um, again, just a few photos of uh, training some of our trainers on the ground. Uh, again, I don't even do this anymore because <laughs> I found uh, as soon as they, my face is seen, what I found is if I can just go into the church setting and train from there, I don't cause any issues in the community. So yeah, this is from the early days. <laughs> 
And, um, and basically um, what happens is our community workers go through about 150 hours of training um, over several um, months, but they're already working after the first lessons going in the community, uh, and then they get equipped with the Word of God um, as they graduate. So it's kind of a fun picture. But again, just... Uh, utilizing local resources, helping them identify um, the things around them as well within them to make an impact in their lives. Um, just a few of the key concepts, we, you know, we really focus on development, training, self-governing, self-sustaining, and community ownership. Now you're like, you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with short-term missions? What does this have to do with maybe community work here? The beautiful thing about community health evangelism, it's very, um, adaptable for all kinds of different settings. They even have curriculum just for the urban setting. If you're working in the city and want to do some inner city um, work, you can basically, your sense of community is going to look a little different. Um, usually when we talk about community, we talk about people who have common interests, who work together. So in a city setting, it might be a group of street kids, and that's your community that you're going to work with. So, and I can't go through the whole lesson, but learning to identify those pockets, because the urban outreach is a little different than rural outreach. And um, you can apply some of the same principles in those settings as you do. And community health evangelism is actually a non-denominational um, program of California. You can even Google, you know, community health, global community health evangelism, and you'll see all kinds of resources, places you can get training and such. So I leave that there. It's also, you can plug in teams into some of these things. Like when people say, well, we want to send a team, I'm like, what can you train? What can you teach our people? And, and what we do is we do workshops with our trainers. We bring them into Lusaka, have a workshop, and our teams that come out, they are feeding into their lives, and then they're taking that information to go out. So a lot of these projects here, I knew nothing how to make these. This is also a fruit dryer, but we had a team from Sustain Hope. That's all they do is, is dream up ways to do some fun things to improve life with rural local resources. And they came in and they taught our trainers how to do this. And now you'll find rocket stoves and solar ovens in different communities because they've taken that information and gone with it. Um, and again, anytime they're doing these projects, um, even with our um, health lessons, it always has the Word of God in there. So when we talk about nutrition and how uh, the body needs all three through food groups to function properly. We talk about the body of Christ and how the body of Christ needs all our gifts and talents for us to work properly. We really just try to incorporate the scripture of um, our Lord into everything we do uh, to be a witness to Him. Let me give you a quick, quickly, this is just a three-minute video. This is our brother Jerry. <laughs> he uh, is actually teaching at Valley Forge, but he used to be over... Um, Compassion Ministries in Africa, and he came in from Togo to highlight CHE program. And I just wanted you to take it, you'll hear him talk about AG Care, actually that is not even um, around anymore, we've switched to a different um, uh, overseeing body for our Africa family. But um, everything you see here is about community health evangelism and how it works, and it gives you an idea of what it looks like to see if we can equip the people on the ground to be the hands and feet of our Jesus, the impact it can have. We want to make sure that the people in our churches are not just people who have heard a sermon and prayed a short prayer and converted, but people whose lives have been radically transformed by the gospel. Um, and part of that transformation requires that the people in our churches be sent out into the world uh, to be salt and light. We're the salt of the earth and light of the world. 
He doesn't say you are the salt of the church and the light of the Christian community. And yet we as Christians spend the majority of our time with fellow Christians. AG Care, we really try to promote solutions that come from within the community uh, and, and that local people can um, not only be a part of, uh, but that local people can come up with and own and, and be the, the primary drivers of those, those solutions. CHE is, is a, a, a wonderful program that, that just by giving people some basic knowledge allows them to, to make a difference in their own communities. People of God in the community should radiate with the love of God in such a way that the people around the church, they come into the church and they want to know why are these people so radically different than everybody else. In Eastern Province alone, 350 Muslims gave their life to, to the Lord by the year 2014. So we see that God is doing things, His things are happening. We see it's not about us, but God, because on our own we cannot do it. You know, when we go into a church or we go into a national church and we meet with pastors, we meet with leaders, we want to be able to put resources into their hands so that the, the knowledge that we pass on to them and the information that we give them, they can then take it and pass it on to others. If we don't have those resources, then it's unlikely that that information will go beyond that initial contact. Pastors cannot do everything that the church is called to do. There has to be uh, a sharing of responsibilities within the church. But if the pastor doesn't have a vision for compassionate ministries, then the church won't have a vision for compassionate ministries. So even though the pastor isn't the primary one who leads compassionate ministries necessarily, the pastor has to have a vision and a passion for it. The way to, to do that is to introduce pastors during the training process to the biblical foundations of, of compassion. But if we want to see the training spread, if we want to see uh, indigenous movements rise up, and if we want to see spontaneous growth, we need partners. We need people that will partner with AG Care, that will support this ministry, who believe in the ability of local people to make a difference in their communities. I want to spring over over um, real quickly share the testimony. Lovemore mentioned that um, many Muslims had come to uh, the Lord through community health evangelism, and I got two minutes. So let me just share this really quickly with you. Um, when I got wind of this, I invited uh, four individuals from that Muslim community who had received Christ to come, so I could interview them, and um, I asked all of them the same questions. Number one, what what about community health evangelism? What was it that drew you to Christ? And all four of them gave me the same answer. They said, it was the love of God we saw that they had for our communities and for each one of us that drew us to Christ. And I said, that is beautiful, but what was the final thing that caused you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And all four of them once again gave me the same answer. They said, it was the word of God spoken in our homes. You see, the love and action open doors and open windows. And that's what we hope to train our friends wherever we go, to be his hands and feet, to show love so they can op open doors and windows, and then the Holy Spirit can come in and do his thing. 
You see, all they did was read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit took over. And um, both these ladies grew up Muslim. It wasn't like, oh, they became Muslims as adults. They grew up. It was deeply ingrained. And, and for these individuals, when they come to the Lord, they do sacrifice everything. They do lay it all down for the Lord because they lose jobs. They lose families. But they come into a new life with Jesus. And uh, we're excited with what God is doing through that. I did want to share um, a couple final thoughts, and I'll let you go. Um, this is, again, from our brother Jerry. I love this quote. He, he says, Compassion efforts are most fruitful, are the ones that um, avoid creating dependency, which often robs those who we serve. I'm sorry, I can't read right now. <laughs> you need to eat. Compassion efforts are the most fruitful, that are most fruitful are those that avoid the creation of dependency, which often robs those we would serve of their God-given dignity and divine image bearers, as divine image bearers. They too are meant to be image bearers. And we can't take that from them, right? So we need to be careful as we go in as missionaries, like myself, full-time missionaries, as well as teams and churches sending teams, that we don't take away from the role of the local church and rob them of their missional mandate. Amen. So quickly, a couple things, and you can look at them as you go out. I do have, um, this is not in print anymore, but I had a bunch left over, and you're welcome to take one with you. It has some articles in there about Compassion Ministries, all from the Africa family, um, and some of it covers some of the concepts we talked about today, so feel free to take one. Um, another very helpful book, um, if you haven't read it yet, is When Helping Hurts. It gives you a very good perspective of um, Compassion Ministries. And they even have a helping, um, when helping hurts, uh, preparation for short-term missions teams. Um, our friends up at Liberty AG have used this for many years. They have mis previous missionaries on staff, and they can't say enough about this. Um, so it's actually a little study guide they use to prepare their short-term missions teams to give them healthy perspectives as they go into communities and on short-term missions trips. Um, there's a couple more books up here. Um, Transformational Development Through the Church. This is actually from our Discovery Series in Africa. Um, Toxic Charity. And then I'll throw in a couple others. Um, Walking with the Poor is an excellent book. Um, pretty much all our missionaries uh, read that one. Um, and then again, I'll put all these resources on that, that sheet that where you signed up. Um, and also, I, I like to plug in Joanne's Butrin's book um, from the Roots Up because it's a very easy read, but it also deals with some of these same concepts. So, sorry I didn't leave time for questions. <laughs>